Sunday is the Feast of Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Christ. There's many layers to this feast, each of which reveals to us kind of a deeper and more profound mystery. And the common thread to all of them is the humiliation of the eternal Son of God. That's the way that John Henry Newman phrases it. The humiliation of the eternal Son of God. Why would we celebrate a feast about Jesus being humiliated? I think we point to these three things that this feast really points to and meditate on them a bit. So first, when we think about the body and blood of Christ, we think about the Incarnation. The fact that the eternal Son of God becomes one with the least of his creation. You know, as human beings, we are body and spirit. So we're kind of, we have that dual, the body and spirit mixture somehow mysteriously put together. And we're the only ones in the universe who have that. But we're the weakest spirits in the universe too. Whenever you see angels show up in scriptures, people are terrified. Because they're so much greater than us on an objective level. You know, when you think about humans, we can't even comprehend any concepts, can't comprehend a particular concept without thinking discursively, without thinking step by step through it. If anyone here remembers taking geometry, I don't know how familiar you still are with your geometry, but we had geometry proofs, and you kind of work step by step through a proof, and it's called discursive thought. And we have to think of everything that way, whereas angels just comprehend immediately whatever you know, the Lord reveals to them. They just comprehend it all at once, simultaneously. And then we're also totally subject to our senses. You know, we take in all information in the world through our senses. So you take away one of our senses and we're incapable of comprehending that information anymore. Whereas angels have no need of senses to take in information. And then what I think when you think about it, a lot is the funniest is that we have to kind of lay prostrate and sleep for about a third of our lives just to be able to function during the other two-thirds of our life. Like we actually have to lay down and rest our brain for a third of every single day in order to function. And I just wonder how funny that looks from the perspective of angels. These things just have to lay down in order to function again later. And we just feel like in a sense we're wasting a third of our life. But nonetheless, despite all these shortfalls, Jesus became one of us. The God of the universe who has no limits, who is, is infinite in every single way, took on all of our limitations for our sake. So that's humiliating in a very objective way. But then, not only that, he dies for us, a public and shameful death. Uh, he comes as a human being, or as, as, a, as a man, and dies for us. And not only that, uh, the death of a criminal who is scourged and crucified. And then finally, the mystery I think which this, which this feast focuses in on is the third and kind of most profound and in many ways most confusing of all the mysteries. And that's the Eucharist. The fact that Jesus not only comes to us as a man, takes on our human nature, he then comes and humbles himself even further to take the form of bread and wine that we can receive him in communion. They can literally feed himself to us. And that, I think, is, is overwhelming for us because when we think about God, like we meditated on the Trinity a few Sundays ago, when we meditate on the Trinity, we expect to fall short. You know, we're talking about an infinite God, a God who is three persons and one God. It's, it's, 
It's difficult. You know, they're distinct persons, but they're one. And we expect our finite language to fall short when we're talking about something so infinite and incomprehensible, and, we, and which we don't really have a point of reference. Like, how do we talk about spiritual things when, we're, when we take in all of our information through the senses? It's just difficult. But when we talk about the Eucharist, we have the language, but it falls short in a totally different way. So this man, Jesus Christ, tells us that we must eat his body and drink his blood. And that is just, so so we have the language to talk about it, but we still have no idea what that means. And so we, we fail to understand it. And I think we find it confusing at times, and sometimes, I dare say, offended. We get offended. You know, and, and, I, and I say that because we're not the first to get offended. The disciples got offended when he revealed the teaching to them. In the sixth chapter of John, when he reveals this teaching on the Eucharist, it says, you know, have no life within you unless you eat my body and drink my blood. And the disciples are confused. They're offended. They say, how could he possibly do this? How could he give us his flesh to eat? And they walk away, and he lets them. They walk away, and he lets them. And then he turns to the only ones he's got left. You know, you probably might have a few disciples. But then he turns to the apostles and asks Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, you know, you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? We have nowhere to go. We've kind of, we've thrown in with you, Jesus. Uh, even though we have no idea what you're talking about right now. And so, it's a mystery. And, and we've meditated on it for 2,000 years. So hopefully we can make a little ground today. We need to understand, try to understand what, what Jesus is doing here without leveling out the mystery. Because, to be clear, it is still a mystery. The Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. And there's something there that we will never quite understand. Uh, this is the body and blood of Christ. It's not an empty sign. It's not just a symbol to remind us that we are the body of Christ. You know, we are the body of Christ. But this is definitively the body of Christ. If we were to deny Christ today and leave this church, then that would remain the body of Christ in the tabernacle. So then Jesus humbles himself, not only becoming a man, but also to become bread and wine for us. Why would he do that? It's in order that we can truly become one with him. The church fathers say, God became man that man might become God. You know, we're lifted into God's divinity in some mysterious way in heaven. We talked about that in the Ascension a couple Sundays ago. And if we believe this, that we, that we enter into that through the Eucharist, then it changes everything. You know, as a Methodist kid, whenever my Catholic friends would ask me, what's the difference between you and us? Like, why, are, why is the Methodist Church different than the Catholic Church? My answer was always just a one-liner. You know, we believe that communion is a symbol and you believe it's real. And... I thought that was a pretty profound answer looking back on that when I was thinking about that preparing. Because I, th- I think I nailed it. You know, that, that is the essential difference. That really believing in the Eucharist, that we have the body and blood of Christ, is what really defines who we are as Catholics. It's the essential difference. And then somebody finally challenged me. One of my buddies finally challenged me. Kind of walked me through exactly what the Catholic Church taught. You know, John 6, when Jesus says... You must eat my flesh and drink my blood eight times. He walked me through the letters of Paul. He walked me through the Last Supper. And he said, so what do you actually think about the teaching here? 
And I, you know, and it, I think the Lord gave me this incredible moment of grace. And I just said, you know, that's totally reasonable. I believe it. And that was the end of that. And once I believed that, there was no going back. I, I had to move into the Catholic Church. Everything else I could just figure out later. And I can't tell you how many people I've kind of walked through that same thing and we've gotten to the end and they've said, I can't believe that. It's just not true. So there is faith there. It's reasonable because faith and reason are always go hand in hand. But there is still a definitive act of faith involved in believing in the Eucharist, which is why so many people don't believe it. The polls I see say that the majority of Catholics don't believe in the true presence, don't believe that the bread and wine is the body and blood of Christ. I don't think we really need a poll to tell us that because, you know, the majority of Catholics don't go to church on a Sunday, you know, on a Sunday to Sunday basis. And if we don't believe that this is the body and blood of Christ, why would we? You know, what's, what's the, where's the obligation then? It's just another rule. But if we do believe it, I can say when I came to believe it, the Mass became the focus of my entire life. Everything else had to kind of fit in around that because there was no way that I was going to miss communion once I realized what it really was. Even before I was Catholic, I'd sneak out on Sunday evening. We had a Sunday evening Mass in Billings and I would sneak out and just tell my mom I was going to shoot hoops or lift and go to Mass Sunday evening. I don't know why I lied about it. I don't think that was absolutely necessary. But, But I don't think it was the worst lie I ever told. But I I had to be there because everything had changed. Augustine says of of communion, he says, material food, first of all, turns itself into the person that that eats it. So we eat food and it turns into us. You know, it becomes a part of us and either fat or, or muscle, depending on what we're eating at any given time. And it restores our energy and kind of gives us, gives us the capacity to function as human beings. But spiritual food, on the other hand, turns the person who eats it into itself. So when we receive communion, we're turning into Jesus. Jesus isn't becoming a part of us. We become a part of Jesus. And that's why, he says, the proper effect of the sacrament is the conversion of man and woman into Christ. It's a a definitive changing point in our life. So as Catholics, therefore, we take communion very seriously. That's why Sunday Mass is an obligation. This is why we can't just give communion to anyone who walks through the door. This is why we examine ourselves before we go up to communion and to figure out whether we're ready, prepared to receive it. It's the greatest treasure we have in the church, and so we care for it with a deep reverence. And trust me, I, as much as anybody else, want everyone in the world to receive communion. I mean, that's literally my mission in life. That's why I became a priest. But unless we know what we're receiving and we really believe it, then we're never going to really live it out. We're never going to be able to receive it in a way that it will transform our lives. I can say one of the most grace-filled times of my life was, you know, the time when I kind of definitively decided I was going to be a Catholic and before coming into the church, I went to 6.30 a.m. daily mass every day of high school. And I never received communion, because I couldn't. But the Lord provided powerful graces in the midst of that. Just gave me this deep desire 
to prepare myself to finally meet him in the Easter Vigil. So are you someone who just can't believe that the bread and wine is the body and blood of Christ? Do you want to believe it, but you just don't have the faith? Or do you actually think it's kind of crazy and weird and unreasonable? Are you offended as the first disciples were offended? Like, dig in. It's our mission as Catholics. It's a responsibility that we have to really dig into this teaching because it's at the center of our faith. It's the source and summit. And as Catholics, if we really knew what we had, the gift that we have in the Eucharist, we, it would change the world. It already has, but it would transform the world in a totally new way. And our whole, and our whole lives would be built around it. We would never go without it. So dig in. Seek the Lord in the Eucharist in a profound way. And I promise you will find him more powerfully there than anywhere else this side of heaven. Amen.